Lord has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. Lord, I am so excited about where our church is right in this moment. And while we know that, Lord, there are things about each of us individually and even our church that aren't perfect, I look at who you are and what you've done and the grace that's poured out here and the love that's poured out here and the commitment that's here, and I'm in awe of it, Lord. And I pray today we would take it to a whole new level. If someone is here and thinks this is basic, I just pray, God, that they would see the depth of what we're about to look at. If someone's here and they think this is new to them, I pray they would see the truth of your word. And if someone's here and hurting and in pain, I pray, oh God, right now they would see how you're the one who takes all things and turns them together for good if we love you and if we're committed to your purpose in our life. So I pray right now that you would guide our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm about to tell you something. I want to ask you to listen to all of it, okay? So if, you're, if you go, oh, that's a little bit offensive, then I'm not trying to be offensive. If you get offended, then my email is bill at crossroadschurch.com. <laughs> All right, you ready? Okay, a moderate, a liberal, and a conservative walk into a bar. I'll, I'll try that again. A moderate, a liberal, and a conservative walk into a bar, and the bartender says, hi, Mitt. <laughs> oh, hey, more of you got it than the eight o'clock crowd. All right. Some of you are leaning over going, I don't get it. But you know, now, now here's the point. I'm not trying to attack Mitt Romney. Okay, I'm really not. I'm not trying to be political. I really am not. What I thought when I saw that on the internet, I died laughing. And the reason I think it's funny is this. Now, this is where we're going. When someone takes on a title, and proclaims that's who they are, and then they start varying from it, they lose respect. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not going after Mitt Romney. I'm going to make this about me and about you. But when someone takes on a title, and then they don't live up to that title they've taken on, I think all of us go, there's something wrong with that. When someone says they're a Christian, and doesn't live like a Christian, and act like a Christian, and talk like a Christian, and love like a Christian, I think everybody goes, there's something wrong with that. The one thing I know is true, are you ready? Non-Christians know how Christians should act. Isn't that true? And they have a problem when we don't. I think God has a problem when we don't. And I think we've got to understand, it's a big, big disconnect. Well, then it becomes even more interesting to know that Jesus did not call for you to be a Christian Jesus called for you to be a disciple. Um, Mark Driscoll stood on this very stage a few weeks ago, and he shocked a lot of people. It was a marriage seminar. But you know what his opening line was? He walked out and said, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And I think, like, whoa, that's the beginning of this. Now, I'm about to say something that may shock you more. If you're not a disciple, you will go to hell. 
If you're not a disciple, you will go to hell. Heaven and a relationship with Jesus is only for disciples. It's interesting to note and to literally look at the New Testament and see that the word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian is only used three times. And in the New Testament, all three times the word Christian is used, it's referring to a disciple. That's why I wanted you in Acts chapter 11, and look what it says in verse 26, or 25, verse 25. It says, and he who is Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, now here's where we start picking up, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You see, the idea in the New Testament is a disciple is a Christian. The word Christian is something those outside the church called them. Jesus didn't even say, go make Christians. In the Great Commission, he said, you go and make disciples. And those who are disciples get called Christians. And we've got to understand, that's what God's desire for you to be is a disciple. His desire is for me to be a disciple. Uh, The word Christian technically says that. The word Christian means one who belongs to Christ, meaning he owns us. Meaning we're his disciples, we're his followers. And we need to grab that. What I want you to not miss in the beginning of the message and the end is this is the key to the most blessed life you could ever live. I mean, do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want to be more blessed by God? Do you want to have God's pouring things upon you? Well, I want to tell you, if you're a disciple, that's going to happen. And I was kind of struck by this, and hopefully now you're in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, and here, there's this thing that I had one of these aha moments. I'm doing my quiet time, and I went, oh, I I don't know how I missed this. And and I got to tell you, I've been a Christian a long time, but for some reason, I never grabbed what I'm about to show you. And, and here's where we're going. In Acts, or Luke 11 is where you need to be. But in Luke chapter 1, Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And she goes to see Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary's walking up, the baby in Elizabeth, John the Baptist, is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps in the womb. And then Elizabeth realizes something. Standing before her is the mother of the Lord. Standing before her is the mother who will give birth to the Messiah and will raise him. And she looks and says, you are the most blessed of all women. Now, she's right about that. Mary is the most blessed of all women. So think about that. Now, here's the question. You ready? What would it mean then if you and I were more blessed than Mary? That's what Jesus is going to say. Luke chapter 11, verse 27, it says, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. In other words, blessed is your mom. Blessed is your mom. But notice what Jesus says in verse 28. On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Do you want to be more blessed than Mary? Then hear the word of God and observe it. It's not a blessing to hear the word of God and not observe it. It's not a blessing to say, okay, I'm a Christian and not live it. See, this is the idea that we're going into for two years called the Asa Shema. And if you're brand new, those are Hebrew words. The Hebrew word Asa means to do it with all your might. Shema means to understand completely by experience. And that comes out of Exodus 24, 7, where it says, All that the Lord has commanded me, we will do. And then we will asah, 
and all the Lord is commanding me to do, then we will asah or do, and then we will shema and understand. The idea is we will do all that God says, and then in doing that, we'll understand it. In doing that, that will come our way. Here's the point. In doing, you get blessed. You don't bless, uh, you don't get spiritual life or all of that by your doing or your works. But the minute you surrender to Jesus Christ and really truly give yourself to him, you become his disciple and you are obedient to him. That's why the wonderful promise in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 is this. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, in other words, cling to my word and follow my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You and I will never know the truth. We'll never know the blessing if we don't continue in his word. But here's the key. If we continue in his word, we're truly his disciples. That's the great calling of God. That's what he wants us to have. So a good question to ask is, are you living the most blessed life anybody could ever live? Are you experiencing blessings from God like you cannot imagine? They're beyond imagination. And if you and I are not living that life, then Jesus tells us why. He goes to the crux of the problem in Luke 6.46 when he says these words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why would you say you're a disciple and not follow me and observe what I say? Why would you say I'm the Lord of your life and not truly live out what I've called you to do and be who I've called you to be? Why would you say that and not be my disciple? Jesus says that's the crux of the problem. And by the way, Dallas Willard, who's a, a professor at USC and an incredible Christian philosopher, has said this. He said, we are suffering from what he calls the great omission. We know the great commission, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. We know the great commission is found there. The problem we have is we have made a great omission of the great commission. We, we don't honor it. We don't look at it. We don't live it out. And then we wonder why the church is inept at times and ineffective. We wonder why we're not experiencing God like we should. Uh, we wonder why we look at Christians having the same problems that someone who doesn't know Christ has. And the reason is we have left behind the great commission. We're not listening to what Jesus said. We're not observing what he said. We're not living out the Asah Shemab, Exodus 24, 7, that all that the Lord says we will do and then we'll understand. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, Now catch the word all. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Now I want to tell you something. My calling and your calling, if you know the Lord, is to make disciples. Now, it makes sense, I think it makes sense, that I cannot make a disciple if I'm not a disciple. But I'm to be a disciple, and I'm to make disciples. Hey, I want to tell you, I have a dream that will fill this building every single service. But I want to tell you how, what I mean by that. I don't want to fill it with people. I want to fill it with disciples. Are you with me? Filling it with people, that didn't do anything. The idea is we fill this place with disciples, people who are sold out for the Lord and observe all he says. And Jesus said, that's our calling. Crossroads exists on earth to make disciples. So it says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now it's worth stopping there. The word nation is the word ethne or ethnic group. 
I got to tell you, Crossroads is not successful if we're not making disciples, and we're not successful if we're not making disciples of all nations. In other words, if you look around this room and see people who look just like you, then we're in trouble. Think about that. But if you look around this room and you see people of different ages and different colors and different backgrounds, then we're successful. And I don't know about you, I love it. I love the fact there's so many different ethnic groups here. And not just because potlucks are better. It's, 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 because, it's because that's what God wants. All nations. He's always wanted that. And then he says this, baptizing them. This is huge. Who do we baptize? Did you notice he didn't say go into all the world and baptize babies? Did you, this is clear. He said you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them. Baptism is only for a disciple. Baptism is only for a disciple. The word baptize means to dip, submerge, or plunge. You are not to immerse someone who's not a disciple. And if someone gets any kind of experience that we call baptism prior to being a disciple, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, by the way, got baptized. He began his ministry being baptized. He wants you to begin your discipleship life being baptized. And and I just want to be as clear as I can. If you say, well, you know what, I was baptized as a baby. No, you weren't. Somebody got water on you, but you were not a disciple. Only disciples get baptized. And here's the question. Are we going to observe what Jesus said, or are we going to observe the traditions of men? Some of you today, some of you today, you need to commit to being baptized into Jesus Christ as a disciple. So you experience that with him. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I command you. Not some. Not some. Jesus said, blessed are you if you hear the word of God and observe it and do it. Exodus 24, 7, all that the Lord says we will do. Here he said, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all. Not some. You and I need to be committed to doing every single thing God says and not varying from it. That's why in John 8, you continue in the word and then you're a disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The great calling of God as we do that. Dallas Willard said, and rightly, the great omission is we've acted like you don't have to do that. Let me tell you something I I hear from time to time. And, And I'm not trying to be mean towards somebody. Maybe their hearts are right, but their theology is horrible. When they say this words, well, you know, uh, at one point in my life, I, I gave to my life to Jesus, so he's my savior. But a few years later, I made him Lord. Well, you know what? Then you are not going to heaven during those few years. He's either savior and Lord, or he's nothing. You can't just have him as savior. You can't pick and choose. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Without lordship, there's no salvation. Without lordship, there's no discipleship. And and that's the correct teachings of Scripture. But we in this country have so watered it down. We've acted like people could be half-hearted and be okay. Everybody's been a Christian very long. Do you know what Jesus says about lukewarm people? 
And you know what? He's calling for an all-out commitment. And we need to be in on this. I want to do all, he says. You need to do all, he says, and not leave that out. And the key is to make a disciple of all nations, baptizing them and teach them to completely commit to following the Lord with everything they have. Now, that brings up the, the point we need to jump to. What is Jesus's definition of a disciple? Not mine. Not the dictionaries. What is Jesus' definition of a disciple? And I want to ask you to make sure and turn to Matthew chapter 10, and we'll look at verses 24 and 25. There are two aspects of being a disciple that Jesus brings out in verses 24 and 25, and we need to make sure both of these are true of us. And so when Jesus says, make a disciple, what does that mean? What is a disciple? Here's the definition. So I want to hope, if you walk out of here, there's, you ought to be able to say, there's two things true for someone to be a disciple. Number one, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Now you might say, okay, wait, what are we saying here? Jesus is saying that if you're a disciple, you're not above your teacher, and you're not above your master. That, that what it is, you have a master, you have a teacher, and they're above you. In other words, Jesus wants us to follow him, not him follow us. Too many people have a, say, I love God and I have a great plan for God's life. You know, no, actually, what is this supposed to be? I love God and he has a great plan for my life. I have declared him as Lord and I'm the disciple. I am not above him. By the way, when Jesus, when Jesus called people, what did he say? I want to have you think about this and you'll get to know why in a minute. Can you remember anywhere in Scripture where Jesus went up to someone and said, would you accept me? No, what did he say? He said, follow me. Follow me. Matthew's sitting in the tax booth, follow me. Peter, James, or John are on the boat, follow me. The rich, rung ruler comes, sell all that you have and follow me. My, uh, I was just with the 157 pastors in San Antonio. We're talking about discipleship and how there's a, a tragic misunderstanding when it comes to this. And one of my friends, Rick Ashley, said, guys, I want to ask God's forgiveness for every time I've asked people to accept Christ. And I know deep down they don't know what that means. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to say, follow Christ. When we say accept Christ, by the way, do you know what we're saying? Accept him as your Savior and Lord, not one or the other. It means I accept that he's the Lord of my life. I accept I need to give myself to him completely. But somehow that got missed. It's almost like we, we get this weird view that Jesus is up in heaven going, would you just please like me? Do you think Jesus really wants that? think he's going, would you guys just kind of say I'm okay? No. He says, I'm Lord, and if you want to come, get on your knees. By the way, don't miss that. When you come and I come to him, we fall on our knees before him. And we say, we have sinned and you are righteous. You have died on the cross for me. I am now bowing my knee before you. By the way, if you're here today, and I don't mean to be mean and you're not a Christian, if you don't choose to bow your knee before him now, you will in heaven. No one will stand before the Lord in heaven. And he is calling for us to understand now by choice that we should bow our knee before him. We should say, we want to give ourselves to you completely. A disciple is not above his master. That would be crazy to think about. And we need to understand that. Jesus' calls for us to follow him. And that's why he says, why would you even call me, Lord, and not do what I say? So the first aspect of discipleship is he's the Lord and I'm the disciple. He's the one who calls the shots. I don't. When he tells me what to do, I do it. I don't tell him what to do. By the way, have you ever been around a child that tries to tell you what to do? The other day, you know what I, I had... 
I had Eleni in my arms and Liam reached for me and I got him in my arms and she looked at me and she goes, over there, over there. And she's pointing and going, where did the demon come from? And you know how many times do we think we can tell God what to do when he tells us what to do? If I say yes to him as Lord, then that means at this point on, whatever you say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And there's no, uh, God refuses to be in a relationship with anybody who, who won't be that way. Think about the rich young ruler. He comes and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Now, why did he target him on that one? Well, you'll see more in a minute, but we all need to literally surrender all to him. And so what did the, it says he went away sad because he had much. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say Jesus went, hey, Peter, go get him. I was kidding. What, was Jesus kidding? He said, if you're not gonna follow me, completely leave. He did that over and over and over again. Lord, I'll follow you one day when I've buried my dad, then don't come at all. Don't come at all. Jesus is clear about this. And if we miss it, we have forgotten the majesty of God and the power of the one who's Lord of Lords. And he calls for us to understand we're not above him, he's above us. That's number one. Verse 25, it is enough. In other words, there's nothing more important in life. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. In other words, the second aspect of discipleship is I want to be like him. I got to tell you here, I, I have a confession to make. I've been a follower of Christ, a Christian, a disciple. And maybe in these last years, I don't know what happened to me. Because if you walked up and said, Chuck, what's your greatest goal in life? I would not have said what I should say to be like Jesus. It is enough. There's nothing more important to God, nothing more important than Jesus than I be like Jesus. By the way, for you too, there's nothing more important in your life than you be like Christ. That is your destiny. You were destined for this. You were made for this. That's what God wants for you to be. And it says it is enough for the disciple that he become like his master, his teacher. It's he's above me and I want to be like him. If you're not there, turn to Romans chapter 8. You got to see this. You got to see it's God's destiny for you. But while you're turning there, let me kind of illustrate. And, and I hope this makes sense. Years ago, when I was first becoming a pastor, uh, Hope University would do stuff with Ozark Christian College. And so all of us young pastors would gather together. And I'll never forget, I was sitting and I noticed something. The Ozark guys almost all wore long sleeve shirts, and maybe because it's colder back in Missouri. But when they talked, they would always do this with their sleeves. And I, I watched them. And, and I thought, why are they doing that? Like, they'd get up to speak, and they were like, well, what are you grabbing, man? Wear short sleeves then. You know, and do you know why they did it? Because David Roadcup, the most popular professor at Ozark, wore cufflinks, and he was always messing with his cufflinks. None of them had cufflinks. They were too poor. But, you know, uh, but they were doing that because as David taught and preached, they were so excited about David. They did that. Then I noticed something else. The most popular professor at Hope University was a man named Les Christie. And Les had a stuttering problem. But he was the best preacher we ever heard. So when you got around guys from Hope and they went to preach, even though they didn't have a stuttering problem, they would when they preached. So we'd all get up there going, and, and you're like, why did you do that? Do you have a stuttering? No, Les does. And we think Les is so cool. You get where I'm going? Then, then as I was getting ready for this, I got to pray with the Generate team. 
If you, if you want to pray with a group of people who are on fire for the Lord, you get with our Generate team. So I'm in the room, and the prayer starts, and it's passionate. And I, I notice all of a sudden someone's like praying, like, Lord, God, I pray you'll move tonight. And you hear, hmm, hmm, hmm. It's all around the room. And I'm like looking, and I'm noticing all these people, but especially girls. Like they're so in, you say something, they're like, hmm, hmm. And, and, and it sounds better than that, okay, than what I'm doing. <laughs> do you know why they do that? Because Natalia does. Natalia, when she prays, you guys get around Natalia, she's, she doesn't just sit there wandering, man. She's with that prayer, and she's like, you say, hmm, and she just makes that sound because she's so passionately with you. Well, all these other girls and guys, too, realize how powerful Natalia is in the Lord, so now they're doing what she does. And so there's, and, and when Natalia does it, it sounds beautiful. When I do it, it's like grunting. But, but and you know why? It's because she loves the Lord. And I'm realizing more and more that when you love the Lord, you want to be like him. You want to think like he thinks and act like he acts and talk like he would talk and do what he would do. Now, why? Is it so we can earn points? No, it's not. It's the opposite. It's because we're so in love with him. We're so in love with him that it's enough that I could be like him, that I could walk in and love on my wife the way Jesus loves my wife. That I could walk up to you and care about you the way Jesus cares about you. That I could look at somebody who's messed up and hurting and, and, and made every mistake possible. And what does Jesus do? He cares about them more than they know. That, that I open my arms to people like he does. And uh, that's the great calling we have. Look at Romans chapter 8. You were destined for this. It says this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't miss this. If you and I love the Lord, by the way, today, if you're hurting, God will take that hurt and pain and turn it for good in your life if you love God and if you live your life according to the purpose you're called for. But what's that purpose? Read on. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined, to be conformed to the image of a son. What is your destiny? That you're conformed to the image of Jesus. That, that Christ's likeness is in me and in you. That we're conformed, not to the world, but we're conformed to the image of Christ. That everybody here who's the disciple, it's enough. There's nothing more needed and important in life than you and I be like Jesus Christ and we live our life that way. By the way, it says this, uh, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. One reason Jesus came and lived the life he lived, so many, many, many people would follow that kind of life and be like him. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you grab? It's those who are conformed to the image of Jesus who get justification and glorification. We don't earn it, we receive it. Because we're so in love with him, because we're so in awe and enthralled by him. And uh, by the way, let me say this, for this conformity to take place, two things have to happen. We need to understand a disciple is not above the Lord, the Lord's above us, we, and we become in the image of the Lord. How do you and I become into the image of the Lord? How do we become Christ-like? Two things must take place in our life. First, and, and I, I got to be honest, if you get real honest, I don't like either of them. You want to know what they are? It's surrender and suffering. I cannot be his disciple if I'm not going to surrender all and be willing to suffer and even want to suffer with him. 
Surrender and suffering. Now, where do we get that from? Luke chapter 14. He talks about the idea of surrendering everything. And uh, what he starts out with in Luke 14 is he says, you know what? If you were going to build a tower, you should count the cost of building the tower before you build it. Or else you'll look foolish because you'll start building and not finish. If you're a, in, about to go to war and you have 10,000 men and the person against you has 20,000, you need to count the cost of whether you actually can bring victory. If not, you should surrender and give peace. He said, it's, you got to count the cost. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 33, it says, so then, knowing that if you're going to build a tower, you need to have the money to finish. If you're going to take on a battle, you better be sure you can win. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Don't miss what he said. You and I, none of us, no one, no one can be my disciple who does not surrender all his own possessions. All of it. Now, you know what that means? That means your house is now God's if you became a disciple. Your car is the Lord's. My wife is the Lord's. My children are the Lord's. Everything in life is the Lord's. Which, by the way, is really... I, I think the best way to live. You know, you walk in and your water heater's out. You go, Lord, you got a problem. Your water heater just went out. Because <laughs> it's yours. You know why we, by the way, I've had some people go, man, why do we talk about giving to the Lord? You ready? Because if you love God, you show that symbolically by giving the first 10% back, by returning it to the Lord. And that's a way of showing spiritual discipline that it's all his anyway. It's not that, but I've heard someone say, well, the 10% is God and the 90% is yours. No, the 10% is God's and the 90% is God's too. It's all his. It's all his. And you and I are entrusted with stewardship, which means we're entrusted with being faithful in how we, we handle that. And that means, by the way, when I'm in a position where I see someone in need and God has blessed me so I can meet the need, you ready for this? I don't even have to pray about it. If I see somebody in need and God's blessed me, I could go, Lord, should I? And maybe ask for wisdom on how, but I've got to do something. He didn't give it to me so I could walk by everybody else and, and not meet their need. And it changes everything. And, and so we need to surrender all. No one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. All. Did you catch the word all again? So it's all his. Everything in life. So we surrender all our own possessions. You ready for this? You surrender all your relationships. Uh, Luke 14 25 and 26. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be. Now, you, you probably already know enough to know that Jesus was using a polarizing statement to make a point. Does he, you know, does he want you to hate your mom and dad? No. The Bible says honor your mother and father. But in comparison to the Lord, it's almost like you hate him. Uh, some of you look at husband and wife. You go, oh, that's easy. I hate my wife. All right, Lord, I'm there. <laughs> no, you need to love your wife and your children. But, you know, I want to say something. If it came down to a choice between them and the Lord, them and God, what do you choose? Now, we, this is the thing. Right now, that's so theoretical for us that we can go, okay. When we're doing ministry in Ramallah, it's not theoretical. When I look into the eyes of a young Islamic man and he's now ready to give his life to Christ, he's giving up his family. Should he do it? 
Should he do it? And guess what he is? Right now in that church in Ramallah are people sitting there who have no more family because they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Young girls who are having to be protected because they said yes to God and were thrown out of their families. And not just in Ramallah, there's all sorts of places in the world. So when you and I act like, oh, we don't have to be that committed, there are other brothers and sisters in Christ today who are being that committed. And you know what we call them? We call them Christians and disciples. And we should be nothing less. We have to be willing to do that. And, and we got to grab. It, has, it happens. We surrender all because we love him. Paul, by the way, says, but what are we giving up? We're giving up nothing to get everything. That's what he says. No matter how important you think all those things are and all those relationships are, we're giving up nothing in comparison to what we get from the Lord. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 to 12. It says this, but whatever things were gained to me, all of my laudits and all my laurels and all my accomplishments and all my position and power, he says none of that. He gave it all up. By the way, are you ready? It is, Paul had to have been married. He couldn't have been in the Sanhedrin and not been married. So either his wife died, or more likely, when he gave himself to the Lord, she left him. And he never remarried. But Paul gave it all up. And it says this in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, when I look at Jesus, none of it matters. When I look at Jesus, what have I given up? By the way, Wednesday night, if you weren't here, what we did to begin the fast was we wanted to focus on Jesus and what he did, and that means what we're giving up just isn't that big a deal. So we showed scenes from the passion of the Christ and watched scenes that portrayed Jesus Christ dying for us. So when I say to the Lord, I'm going to give up bread and sweets, does that seem that big a deal? And you know what? Some of you giving up coffee and, and then you think, but what did he give for me? By the way, fasting is the idea of a spiritual discipline to say, Lord, you gave everything for me. I'll give up something for you for a period of time just to teach myself it's all yours. And Paul said, and, this, and I got to be honest, we start the fast. It was so beautiful. But I looked at that scene and I'm like, you did that for me? A piece of bread? Sweets? And Lord, I know it honors you. But I want my life to be yours. And people who know the Lord, they know that in surpassing view of who he is. And it says, for whom I suffered, Paul says, the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so I may gain Christ. Paul said, you know what I gave up is trash. I gave up trash so I might have Jesus. He goes, that, no matter what you think in this world is worth holding on to, man, when you see who Jesus is, it, it all looks like trash. You just throw it aside and say, for you, I'll do anything for you, I'd give anything, verse 9, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which through faith in Christ's righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, don't miss this. That I may know. Now the word know there is a Greek word gnosos or gnosko, which means to know by experience. So it literally is that I may experience him and the power of his resurrection. He said, I give all of it up that I might experience a relationship with the Lord. Uh, you know, for instance, if I walked up to you today and said, hey, we switch coffees, and now I've been told we're about to serve the best coffee you've ever tasted, and you say, Chuck, well, have you tasted it yet? I go, no, but I trust the people, so I know it's good coffee. That's not to experience it. If I do this, we didn't switch it yet. <laughs> 
That is not good. But anyway, uh, see, now the experience is different, right? In Kenya, I met a little boy, probably about eight or nine years old. He had never tasted a Coca-Cola in his life. He had heard it was good. I had the can all cold in my hands. He's looking at it with wide eyes, and I found out he had never had a can of Coke. I popped it, handed it to him, and I watched him drink it. All his friends had told him it's good. He had seen it was good. He had never tasted it. His eyes lit up. He got on that sugar high, you know. And <laughs> do you know sometimes I think what happens is you get, you, you, you might come here and see religion, but you miss the point. It's a relationship you experience with him. Discipleship is an experience of being with the Lord and becoming like the Lord. It's an experience. And Paul said, for that experience, I would give anything. For that relationship, I would give anything. But don't miss the next part. Verse 10, that I may experience him and the power of his resurrection. And the next line. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He says, not that I have already attained it or I'm already perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, what did Jesus lay hold of him for? To make him like Christ. And he said, I'm going to have to, first of all, surrender all, which I do gladly. And then he says, I actually rejoice in the fellowship of his sufferings. I, I actually rejoice in suffering. Uh, here's, I don't know if this will help you, but let me say this. If you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ at some point, you're going to have to put out your arms and get nailed you got to crucify self. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross. And at some point, you may have to crucify yourself and crucify yourself to things. You may get nailed. But if you want to be like Jesus, you got to do it. You may be hurt. Jesus was hurt. You may be rejected. Jesus was rejected. I, uh, I heard someone say, you know, uh, I want to follow the Lord, and I know I might suffer. And I said, well, that's not accurate. And they go, really? I said, no, you will suffer. Right? Is it a question of if or will? I'm going to. You're going to. Now, the good news is God's not, you know, sadistic. He's not going to make you suffer constantly. But God wants you to suffer at times. And I want to say that again. God wants you, and he wants me to suffer at times so we can be a disciple. And you might go, but why would God want that? And here's the answer. He's more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in Christ-likeness than, than our selfishness. And i got to tell you, I think all, all of you who have been a Christian very long, a disciple very long, do you know what you would agree with me about? I know you will. Is you'll look back at a time in your life and say, I was suffering and it was hard, but I wouldn't take it back because God caused it to work together for good in my life. I've never been closer to him. I've never known him better. It worked together for good in my life. I'll share in a couple of weeks, but the hardest year in my life changed me, and I would never want it back. All I got from it, it made everything else prior to it pale in comparison, and it's because I got closer to him, and I got so many more blessings poured in my life, because Jesus said this, if you hear the word of God and observe it, you're more blessed than Mary, because you're a disciple. If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, I am not asking you to go do this. I want to give it. Our attorneys have made sure that I tell you, you are not told to go do what I'm about to tell you to do. All right, can I be clear? If you go out of here and do this, that's on you. I am not advocating it. This is called my stupidity that God turned to good. 
Um, I am not a mechanic or I'm not good with the, you know, building things, but I thought I wanted to be, so I got Pam to give me a nail gun. I thought, why use a hammer? We could use a nail gun. You know? Man, that thing was shooting, and I turned it and went pow and shot myself. Nail went right in. Now, by the way, that's called stupidity. You don't aim nail guns at your hand. And then I did something probably I shouldn't have done. I've got this nail in there, and I am crying. I mean, I'm going I'm to admit it. I cried. And I pulled it out. Now it really hurts. And uh, then God turned that to good. Uh, I know biblically that Jesus was actually crucified here, but I've got this nail print now. And for about two to three weeks, it hurt. It throbbed. And I don't know that I've ever prayed better up till then. I'm serious. You know why? I would literally take my hand and touch it and think about what he did for me. I would share in the fellowship of his suffering. I would feel the pain and think, Lord, you know what? This is minor compared to what you went through. I took communion better. I focused better. And, and again, I am not, if you go do that, that's on you. All right. And actually, don't do it. Don't do it. But for me, God turned it for good. And I learned that by surrendering everything to him, I get more than I could imagine. By being willing to suffer with him, I get more than I can imagine. And this is where we're going. Are you ready? I hope that you and I would count the cost of what it means to be a disciple, because what it means is everything. But I hope you also would count the cost of not being a disciple. Because in the end, you lose everything. You see, he has a life for you that's incredible. Not always easy, but incredible. It's what you were made for. It's everything he wants to pour into you. And that's what he wants for you. And if you're here today and you're not living the experience of knowing him as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you today to commit to that. If you said, well, he's my Savior, but I haven't been following, then take it up into the correct way you should say, today's the last day of that. I am going to pray and make him my Lord. If you're brand new to all this, I want to call you today to, to literally surrender yourself to him. How do you do that? Well, you pray a prayer and you say to the Lord, I want to give myself to you. And it starts by privately saying that and then it goes to the next level by you publicly proclaiming that. And I know you might go, wait, 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 what are you saying? Here's what it is. If you either need to commit or recommit your life to Christ today to be completely his, if you're not completely his or you need to come back to him, I'm going to ask you in a moment, as we begin to pray, I'm going to ask you to whisper a prayer to the Lord. And in that prayer, you'll tell him, I claim you as my Lord. Remember, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And we'll talk, I'll, I'll lead the prayer. I'll ask you to pray with me. And we'll tell him that you love him, that you want forgiveness, you want cleansing, you want to be his. And we'll, we'll talk with God about that. Then after you pray that prayer, and you make that private commitment, the next step is to make it public. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me, I'll deny you. The next step is to make a public confession by, if you pray the prayer, I'm going to ask when we stand to sing in a moment, you make your way to an aisle or to the stairs, and then I'm going to ask you to come down here and let us greet you. And have you go in this room called the living room, and we're going to get your name because what you did mattered. We want to mark today. We want to give you some things. We want to share a little bit with you. We're not going to interrogate you. We just want to share. And we want to show you care and love as you begin this walk with God. But here's where I'm going. 
as much as we want to do all that in that room with you, there's something that happens when you walk out. When you say, God, I'm yours, I really am yours, man, that's incredible. And then when you get up and you make your way to an aisle, you say, I am going to mark today as special as he asked me to. I'm going to start my walk with God, walking with God, and walk forward. You're going to sense you and God connecting. And so in a moment, I'm going to lead that prayer, and I hope you pray it, and then I'm going to ask you to come. And if you want to bring someone with you, you can. By the way, there are some of you today that need to get baptized. Not just to go through a ceremony. You need to do it with Jesus, to be buried with Christ by your choice as a disciple. And if you've never done that, I'm going to ask you in this time to pray a prayer of commitment. Say, God, I'm going to do it now. And then I'm going to ask you also to make your way to an aisle and come, and, and we'll arrange a time for you to do it. Let's pray. Father, right now we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit fill this room and fill our hearts. May this church, Lord, be committed to being disciples and observing everything you say for us to do 24-7 every day for two years and beyond. Just completely, completely yours. And I ask right now, O oh Lord, that you begin to stir in the hearts and the minds of anybody here who needs to give themselves to you. Lord, I pray first of all for people who are feeling lonely. And tonight, today is the time to give up the loneliness. Now is the time to be yours completely. And Lord, if they would just open up their hearts to you, you're going to fill them with love like they can't imagine and start showing them a life they can't believe. So I pray for those who are lonely today and they need you. They were made to have a life with you. Father, I pray for the hurting today. I pray, oh Lord, for the one who's here and they've been wounded by their very family. But in the midst of it all, if they would just turn and open up to you, you're about to heal the hurt and show them a life they can't imagine. Where they're loved. Where they know how to love. Father, I pray for the person who's here today and they know this week they blew it. They, they sinned. I pray they would know that you love them and they'd want to come. So Lord, right now I ask and pray that your Holy Spirit just start drawing anybody to you who needs to come. And for those who need to recommit, they need to recommit to you, I pray right now they would. If you're a, a, a Christian today, a disciple, would you start praying for those who need to make this decision? Just pray, Lord, free them. Lord, help them. And right now I'm going to lead that prayer that I hope you'll want to pray with me if you want to say yes to the Lord or come back to him. So if you do, I want you to know he loves you. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross because of that love and to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin, to heal me from all hurt and all pain, to free me from myself, from my past, and from fear. You want me to be new, and I want to be new. And you want me to be alive, and I want to be alive. And you want me to be yours, and I want to be yours. So I give myself to you now, and I want to say these words to you, Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord, and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. And praise God if you prayed that.